Hello and welcome back to the first episode of High Impact for 2023. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you all had a lovely festive period. I was in Switzerland, which look, I know it sounds very bougie and it was very, very nice. I skied while I attempted to ski. That was interesting. I probably should put a video up on my uh, my Instagram because wow, wow is all I'm going to say. I do not have the grace and elegance that is required <laughs> to be a good skier, but that's okay. We gave it a go. We gave it a go. Today's episode is with the wonderful Jordan Shanda King. Now, Jordan is a serial entrepreneur. She has ran three businesses before, two, as she says, by accident and one on purpose. And she is an expert on all things scaling and operations. So in this episode, we're going to be speaking about how to deliver a five-star customer experience, whether that be through your onboarding or through your group coaching programs, how to make sure that your client feels supported and that they're getting a high ticket experience for a high ticket price. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. I'm so excited to be back. Got so much planned for the podcast. So many exciting uh, collaborations planned. So enjoy if you can and if you are willing. If you would be able to leave a five-star rating and review, that would help the podcast to be discovered by more people so it can reach more ear holes. And without further ado, here is Jordan. So Jordan, before we clicked record, you were telling me that you've started multiple businesses before, but this was your first business that you started intentionally, which I thought was very interesting. Tell me about that process and the other businesses that you had accidentally started before, which seems like a weird thing to do to accidentally start a business. So walk me through that process. How did that happen? Yeah. So I think, I think I'll like a fair number of business owners can relate to this like accidental starting of a business because typically what happens is someone sees a need or they see that they have a knack for something and they help someone with it or they help a couple of people with it and then they're like oh my gosh well this is because could be a thing like I could sell this I guess uh and so you accidentally start your business is kind of how I describe that my first two businesses were started that way. My very first one I started with my mom, um, just based on personal experience we had that was in college and scholarship prep. So through the the very long journey of me preparing for college and getting a bunch of scholarships, we learned a lot and knew that my brother was going to have uh, a lot harder of a time than I had. Uh, he wasn't going to be able to feel his way through and navigate it as easily as I had. So we created a product um, to help parents and students with that. And so that was just, again, accidental because it was something that we did for ourselves and then people kept asking us to help them with it. The second one was kind of a a selfish need that I had uh, along with a good friend of mine in wanting more community and support as a as a female business owner and specifically locally as a female business owner, we couldn't really find a good community and much support other than like your typical networking in person, very surface level networking events that we both hated. And so we created a business mastermind and that then just morphed into its own business and and creating other business masterminds, but also helping other women create their own group programs. So those were my two accidental businesses. And what about the intentional business? What are you all about now? Yeah, the intentional business. I mean, I've I've owned a business, um, one business or another for a decade now. And because my first two were accidental, 
there are some unique challenges to that in that you get into the business and you start doing the things and you're like, oh man, this is like kind of hard. Like I, mm-hmm. with my first business, I didn't really know my ideal client. I had never been a parent of a high school student, which is who ended up being the person that I was selling to. And so I had a lot of issues trying to sell to someone, not really understanding their situation. And then with the second business, there were some things that I didn't feel particularly aligned with in like how we were providing support and what we were doing. And, and through, not that it was bad in any way, it just like, it wasn't aligned with how I liked to work and how my brain worked. And so both of those businesses, um, I've moved on from the first one sold the second one, my partner and I actually, it worked out perfectly in that we just split the business in half essentially. And, um, I just, I really wanted my third business to like feel easy, (laughs) you know, like I wanted, I wanted to know exactly who my ideal client was. I wanted to be showing up and doing the things that I really like to enjoy. So I spent a lot of time, six months or a year, probably trying to figure out what that was where I hadn't done that before. They just kind of like became businesses. And this one, I thought about it for a really long time, you know? Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I think sometimes people start a business and they're thinking, this is really exciting. They've got initial that initial rush of something new, something exciting. Oh, people seem to want what we're selling. And then you start it and come against all these roadblocks and realize that actually turns out starting a business isn't as easy <laughs> as maybe we thought it was going to be. So what are some of the things that you learned from those first two businesses that you then carried on to this one. You mentioned being much more intentional, much more strategic. Can you get more specific about exactly what that looked like and maybe some of the lessons you learned from those businesses that you were like, right, we're not going to do that again. Here's how we're going to start this this third business so that I do feel more aligned with it. Yeah. Well, what is what is interesting is that there's no way I could have started this business without having done those other two. And I think, again, that is like a really typical part of someone's journey is that even, even if it doesn't seem like this is actually direct experience on the path of where I'm eventually going to be, you look back and you're like, wow, that's like super obvious that exactly what I did then is why I can now do what I'm doing now, you know? And since I work like what I do now um, in this intentional business, this third business is I support other business owners as a COO. So I'm in the weeds doing operations, doing strategy with other business owners. Well, there's no way I could, I could be doing that and be doing that effectively had I not owned two other businesses previously, you know, and specifically owned those businesses as a co-founder, which Again, it's kind of a unique experience to have been a co-founder twice. And what actually happened is both of my my co-founders in each of those businesses were very visionary people. They were not in the weeds operations people. And so I kind of like got forced into that role because when you're when you're running a business as two people, you have to figure out how you complement each other. And since they were more in the like in the the clouds visionary idea people, I slotted into that operations of figuring out, okay, here's the idea. How do we actually get it done and getting into the weeds and implementing all of the things. So I gained a lot of experience and knowledge with that, that then translated into this unique skill set, you know? So, um, 
one thing <laughs> in particular is kind of what I already mentioned is having, having my ideal client be me. That was like a non-negotiable when I started this business because I had had two businesses where the first one, I knew nothing about my ideal client, really. The second one, I, kind of, I felt like I kind of understood my ideal client, especially at the beginning, but as it evolved, I didn't really feel like I did. Um, and so this one, I said, I'm not going to start, I'm not going to start this business until I like really have a good grasp of who it is. And I want that person to be me. <laughs> it's all about me. I love it. But that's so much easier because you've been there and you understood yeah. the pain points, the struggles, what you needed help with, and then you can make a product and, and service to sell to you however long ago. Yeah, exactly. Without having to do all of the like constant market research and trying mm -hmm. to like dig into their their brain and their psyche and their their pain points and their struggles and the goals and all of that. It was just like, well, I already know. Like this is exactly what I needed and also what I need. That's the cool thing is that my ideal client is still me. Even as our business has grown and evolved, I'm still talking to people who are going through exactly what I'm going through, which makes it amazingly easy to create content because I just talk about whatever I want to talk about that's going on in my brain and it resonates with people because it's the same stuff going on in their brain you know yeah I've had a few clients come to me who when they first start they're like I've got this product I'm trying to sell it to this specific person and they're not buying it and immediately I'm like you're making life harder for yourself because you're selling it to someone who doesn't know that they need it yet or you're selling it to the wrong person how about selling it to xyz person all, I'm all about making life as simple and easy for yourself as possible. And I often yeah. find those really simple strategies, the best ones, because yeah. you understand it more than anyone else. You know the strategies that they need. Sell to people who know that they need it and that are easy to talk to. Yeah, yeah, totally. I just had, speaking of ease, I just had a conversation with a client the other day because they were like, they were like, I used to be a salesperson and now I'm like trying to sell my own stuff and it's really hard. And I was like, well, that usually means there's like a breakdown somewhere, you know, like there's a breakdown in Multiple what you're probably. selling or, or who you're selling it to, you know, because it, sales should not feel hard. Like I get it because I have had experience where experiences where selling is hard in both of my first two businesses. Selling was hard and that's because there was breakdown in unique things. I don't sell in this business. I don't sell at all because all I have to do is show up and talk about what I do and that's it. That's my only job. And that should be really easy. If you believe in what you're doing and you know who you're talking to, you don't even have to think about it as selling. You're just telling people what you do and that's it. Exactly. You're just existing in your business, telling people, hey, this is the solution to your problems. Come and get it if you want it. You know where it is. And yeah. that's when selling feels fun and easy and hopefully... Uh, that's how you want your business to feel. You want it to, to, continue, continue, to continue feeling fun and flowy and, and easy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Something you mentioned before that I really liked was you were saying that you worked with visionary people, ideas people, and you got sort of shoehorned into an operations role by default. And I definitely relate to the fact that I am more of an ideas person. I'm a bigger picture thinker and operations is not my forte. And I definitely realized when I came up to maybe about the six month to the year mark in my business, I noticed that I couldn't continue running it the way that I ran it in the within the first six months where I didn't have a full onboarding system, where I didn't have my back end sorted. You must see a lot of interesting 
<laughs> backends. There's no way of saying that without sounding really dirty. But you must see a lot of people that come to you and they're like, help. Like, I can't keep running my business the way it is because they are the bigger picture thinker. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people make? Or is there a good time to start working on all of that backend stuff so that things just flow easier, that you have a a more stress-free life in your business? Yeah. um, I wouldn't say there's any like particular time. Usually people reach a breaking point. And it's funny because every single one of my clients or potential clients that comes to me, they're like, I'm like embarrassed to show you what this, I'm like, stop. You are exactly like every other business owner and definitely every other business owner that I work with. And that's why you're coming to me. Like, don't be embarrassed. It's not that big of a deal. Like it just, it just is. We all start our businesses and we hit the ground running and we just are piecemealing things together and we're doing the best that we can with what we've got to work with. Right. And so it's always a mess. There's no one that comes to me that has all of their stuff buttoned up because if they did, they wouldn't need to come to me, you know? Um, So there's not necessarily like an exact perfect time. But like I said, usually someone's reaching a breaking point. And, and, and that usually happens when it's so broken that it's preventing them from being effective or it's causing problems for either them or their clients, or they are just like ready for some type of up level. And they're like, I know that this has to be fixed before I can bring on more clients or increase my capacity or create the brand that I want to be known for, because this doesn't feel good behind the scenes. And so I can't do that next thing until this is sorted out. So usually there's something like that, that is weighing on people's minds. And that's when they're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get this fixed. I gotta get my poop in a group. Yeah. That's definitely how I found it. Like I remember the onboarding side of things was really clunky. I was manually sending invoices and I had a Calendly link and I had an email and I had, they had to physically sign a contract and send it over. And I thought if I'm wanting to scale my business, which I did, and I still do, I cannot continue running it the way that I'm running it within the first three to six months of my business. That was fine being a bit scrappy like that before. But also I was thinking if I want high ticket clients to sign with me, I need to provide a high ticket service, which a lot of it comes under the operation side of things. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I, it's, it's really, again, like no one listening should be embarrassed or feel bad about this, but it's really quite, crazy how many people don't have this client onboarding piece figured out like it's it's not intentional it's not streamlined it's it's not reflective of what they want their brand to to feel like it's 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 almost no one <laughs> it's almost no one has this sorted out uh, especially again like if they're coming to me and so there's there's a lot of like standard things that you can do within client onboarding that that can be easily templated and then like passed over to someone to like make their own and roll out to make it feel more seamless um, and more high ticket. Cause a lot of people like to do high ticket stuff like you're talking about, but you especially have to have this figured out for high ticket in my opinion, uh, because it sends a serious message about your service when someone onboards with you. Definitely. And it's all clunky. We're going to get off onboarding in a moment, but I would love for you to tell us what a good onboarding system would look like, what you would recommend for, say, a a high-touch one-on-one coaching program, some key elements that you really would recommend people have. If they're just new to getting the onboarding started, the operation started, what would you recommend to start with? Yeah, so I like to think about onboarding in a couple of different phases. So the first is the pre 
client phase. And that's usually where you are having conversations with this potential client. They're not your client yet. You're maybe doing a sales call. Maybe they're filling out an application. Um, maybe you're nurturing them a little bit. Uh, and then eventually you're going to give them like a proposal, a contract, something to sign and something to pay. Uh, so that's, that's the pre-client phase. And that's a critical phase. Like that is the first initial impression that someone is going to get of your business and what it's like to work with you. So usually I like to start there and make sure we're dialed in. Um, I don't think there are some things that I think are more nice to have on that side of things and others that are, in my opinion, required. So I think I think having a some type of proposal uh, contract invoice situation that looks nice, like visually appealing and is easy to navigate. So like you were mentioning, ideally not something where it's like you send them the information and then you send them the contract separately and then you send them the invoice to pay. Like that can feel very clunky, clunky especially if you're having to do it manually. That's going to be a huge drain on your time. So that's usually where I like to focus. There's lots of systems that you can use to to make, like automate that so that you don't have to do it manually. I personally love to use Dubsado. Some people use HoneyBook. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can do this. Um, but I like to start there with the, pre, the pre-client workflow and make sure that that is figured out because if that isn't doing well, then it doesn't matter what you've got going on behind the scenes after someone becomes a client. And we can talk about that because there's lots of cool things you can do there too. Definitely. And I think that first impression really matters because people have put their faith and trust in you. They might be investing thousands of dollars in your services. And if you present them with something that's clunky and doesn't look professional, it can it can give them buyer's remorse, which is obviously something we don't want to do. So tell me more about the middle section, which I think is where a lot of people, they might have their onboarding sorted, they might have an offboarding system sorted, but actually that middle section is really important as well so that people feel supported. So yeah, I'd love if you could like dive into that as well. Yeah. So this middle section is like the actual onboarding of the client. So this is once somebody pays, they're officially your client, they've signed the contract, you are going to start working with them. This is where I like to kick off with some type of an immediate email. So I think this gets missed because you can have a really amazing onboarding process. Um, but if it takes you a few days to get it out, like that can leave people feeling a little bit insecure after they've made an investment in you, right? So you want to have something that you send to them uh, to welcome them and thank them other than like their payment receipt, you know? So some type of an immediate email. And we do, we've done many iterations of this for our own um, services. And we used to fully customize some things that we don't fully customize now. Uh, so we do a welcome packet and we used to fully customize that. So we couldn't send it out immediately, like auto, like automated from them paying. Uh, but now that we have changed that process a little bit and it's not fully customized, we can send that really beautiful PDF welcome packet out to them with all of the information that they need so that they can be perusing that while we're working on more of the custom stuff behind the scenes to send them. So usually like an intake form, um, is a good thing to send in that first automated email to give them something to do and obviously welcoming them, um, and being very excited that they're coming on to you as a client. Um, and then if they get access to anything like a course or any kind of resources, that is a good time to send that to them as well. Uh, any kind of like, um, communication platform information. If you can send that out in an automated way, sometimes that has to be customized. So I would think through like, what can I give them immediately 
go ahead and give that to them in an automated email so they can get started and then separate out the stuff that you want to customize or that you maybe have to do manually because sometimes there is stuff that you still need to do manually or to customize it and you can send that out a few days later. Yeah, people just need to feel supported, really, because don't they say the longest wait is where you don't know how long you're going to wait for? Whereas psychologically, there's been multiple studies done on this. If people are told how long they need to wait for, it just removes that uncertainty and people aren't as unhappy. They're willing to do it. So they just need to know the steps and know what's happening next and feel like their hand is being held, especially through that those early days where they are being onboarded, becoming a client of yours and just gives people a really good first impression of what it's like to work with you. So it's so important. I love that. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, if you can, if you haven't um, onboarded with anyone in a while, (laughs) uh, then this may be hard to tap into, but like, I am onboarding with someone right now. Like I'm onboarding onto, onto their service and I'm very cognizant at every step of the way of like kind of picking apart, like the way that they're doing things. And it's not anything is necessarily bad. It's just like, oh, I submitted my intake form and then I didn't get any kind of automated email, like any kind of tiny little things like that, that you can uh, be aware of, of like, if you were on the other side and you submitted this, or you got this email, or you were asked to do this thing what would you want to happen next, you know, or what would be the questions that you're asking? I think it's really important to be paying attention to that stuff too. Um, just so you can optimize. I mean, none of this stuff is like, again, like an absolute deal breaker, but when you knock it out of the park, people remember. Yeah. And it's just about removing that uncertainty and doubt in your ideal client. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you said that you know a lot about is about creating powerful group coaching programs. And I know that lots of people that listen, I've ran multiple group coaching programs. I know people that listen have either launched group coaching programs before or are thinking about launching group coaching programs. What is a powerful group coaching program, firstly, and how do you go about creating that then and providing that experience for people? So I am obsessed with group programs and I like to differentiate group programs from other things like, you know, online courses, even if there's some type of group group component uh, or live component and uh, memberships are different. There, there's many of these like words and phrases that people kind of just throw around. Group program to me is something that's very unique. It's small, it's intimate. Usually it's you know, less than 15 people. It can be a little bit bigger than that, but usually they're small. They're intimate. People know each other within the group. There's some type of like peer interaction happening within that group program. And typically they're journeying together at the same time. So they're starting and ending at the same time. That's not like totally required. If you don't do that, I think there's extra steps that you have to take to make sure that the cohesion in the group is still there and the the comfort level and the safety and the the camaraderie. Um, but typically it works best if people are starting and ending at the same time. And how do you go about then making sure that they're getting a great experience from you and they're getting what they want out of that program? Is there anything you can do and include as part of that process to optimize the experience for people that do take part in the program? Yeah. So group programs, in in my opinion, one of the great things about them is that they can be customized in so many different ways. Like there are a million ways that you can do a group program. uh, And the way that you do it is going to vary depending on the purpose of the group program. So for instance, if you are doing a program 
that sole purpose is to offer like ongoing support, you are going to structure things in a very different way and run that group program very differently than you would a program that is meant to teach someone how to do something kind of from start to finish, right? So like the second type of group program where you're teaching someone a particular like skill or or piece of information or how to think about something or anything that's like topical usually works better in a shorter time frame because when people want to learn how to do something or learn about a topic, they want to do it like immediately, right? Like they don't want to, if you want to learn how to launch your podcast, you don't want to wait six months to go through a group program on how to launch a group on, on how to launch a podcast. It's it's too long of a time frame. So typically that's going to be a shorter type program, which means you're going to need to structure it and interact with people in a very different way. There's going to need to be actual like education, like more structured education. There's going to need to be more frequent group calls or meeting times or interactions with people live. And that is going to be very different the way that you show up and the way that you help people than if you're doing something that's more ongoing support. So that might be a six month program or a year long program. And so you probably aren't going to be meeting as frequently because nobody has time in their schedule to meet every single week for a year. Like, let's be real. Nobody can do that. Um, and you're probably not going to be doing as much structured education because People are going to need different things at different times because they're getting more general support. So even just thinking through like, what is the purpose of that program and making really intentional decisions about how you're structuring it, uh, I think is something that people can, can not necessarily overlook, but, um, kind of skip through quickly and not really like get into the weeds thinking about what's the optimal way to structure this in order to support someone like where they're at and with what they're needing. I think something that really holds people back from joining group coaching programs is the fact that they think they're not going to get that individualized support. So they're almost more likely to go towards one-to-one coaching, but then sometimes they don't have the budget for that. And then they think, oh, well, is it so generalized that I'm not really going to get what I want out of it? So how, if you've got people, generally speaking, we want them to be at a similar starting point at a similar place in their business or life or, or whatever the problem is that you're solving, how can we give that group support but still be able to tailor the program to people's individual needs? Is that possible, do you think? Or would you sort of just tell people, okay, like we're going to have to keep it much more generalised? What do you think about that? Um. So this is my opinion and this is how I run my programs and how I like to be, I guess, treated when I'm in group programs like this. So... I think that, and I'm just going to talk, I'm just going to talk about long-term support type programs like masterminds or group, you know, group coaching generally. So like I have a mastermind and it's six months long, but people typically continue on. Right. So, uh, we have group calls and I am a huge fan of doing pods. So right now we have 10 people in this mastermind. We have two calls. So everyone gets split up into a pod because I can't give individualized attention to 10 people on an hour long call. It's not possible. No one would have enough time to ask a question that we can go on any, like in any depth answering. It's just not possible. So I think little decisions like that are really important. And yeah, it's not necessarily as profitable for me to split that group of 10 into five, but my clients are going to be getting what they need, right? And so that's more important than me just having one call with 10 people on it. So when I run a group call, knowing that it's a pod of five people, and there's usually anywhere from like three to five people on that call, 
when someone asks a question, I'm going to go all in on answering that question. I'm not going to be trying to like keep time or, you know, be like, well, that's not really like ask that here or maybe ask me that in a different, at a different time. Like, no, like that person is asking me a question. I'm going to go all in. Even if it takes 30 minutes to answer that question, I'm going to answer that question. And that's going to be the only thing that I'm thinking about when they're asking it. I think people make that mistake a lot of times as they try to like structure it and hold boundaries a little bit too hard uh, on things when really they should be focusing on like, you know, just showing up and delivering (laughs) the the highest quality service that they absolutely can, you know, like that, unfortunately that gets missed sometimes. Um, The other thing is having some type of in-between support between calls. And so for us, that's Slack. And I love Slack because I can do voice messages. I am definitely a verbal processor and I hate having to type out explanations for things. So when someone asks me a question, I am going to give them a detailed, thorough voice message. And sometimes I'm going to get cut off at the five minute cap. You know, like I'm not going to give them a one word answer. I've been in programs before where people answer my question kind of like broadly or generically or in a not very helpful way. Like, that speaks volumes, I think, to people in groups. And so you really want to show up and over deliver in answering their individual questions in that community too. I think something that you touched on that I think is really interesting is boundaries and how some people can be too rigid in their boundaries. And I completely agree with you. I think sometimes, especially I found within the coaching industry, that it's almost like a trend now to have these really hard, rigid boundaries and not really over-delivering. And I don't want people that are listening to this to confuse that with stretching yourself too thin and burning yourself out and letting people take the piss. Like That's definitely not what I'm saying. But in terms of, yeah, like you are going to give really tailored advice to people. You are going to send long voice notes to people and give them really specific, tangible advice rather than keeping it really broad and be like, oh, but this is a group coaching program. So if you want more individual advice, that's my one-to-one. Yes, there needs to be a distinction between the both, the two, because you need to distinguish why someone would join one over the other, but you still want to provide a great service. And in turn, even if creating those pods, yeah, it makes you more time poor and you said it might not be as good for your profits, but actually if people are having a really great experience in your programs, that is definitely a profitable a profitable decision that you're making because that leads to re-signs, it leads to referrals, you know? So I think people need to sometimes think about that because I do think it's become a bit of a trend at the moment in the coaching industry to be like, I don't follow up. If someone asks a question about becoming in a a program with me, I'm going to say no, because I want people that are only all in from the very beginning. And I'm like, yeah, (sighs) no, this, um, we could do a four hour about this because I will go off on this because it's (laughs) so frustrating to me. I think there's a lot of ick things happening, um, in this industry in particular. And I do think that people were having, um, strong boundaries as a little bit of like a badge of honor that I think actually is just bad client service, bad customer service. You know what I mean? Like there's a time and a place for sure for boundaries, but I own a service-based business because I'm, I'm serving people and I'm helping people. And, um, I don't, if I wanted to like prioritize my time and everything like me focused over them, then I should have a different type of business. You know what I mean? Because my clients need me, my clients need me. And I take that very seriously. And I think some people forget that. Agreed. Agreed. And you're right. I, we, we could just go on and on about that. <laughs> I could do yeah. a full hour and a half 
solo <laughs> episode about that. <laughs> so let's move away from that one. That's another topic for another day. I wanted to end this on a really positive note and something that I was really interested in. You talk about 90-day planning and the importance of big picture visioning. What is, I mean, we kind of know what planning is, we know what 90 days is, but what does that really look like in terms of 90-day planning and and doing that big picture visioning? Yes. Okay. Uh, This is absolutely critical. Everyone should be doing this. And it's a great way to do a couple of things. One is make sure you have good context on what you're actually trying to do with your business. Where are you going? What are your goals? Why are you doing what you're doing? Um, Where are you trying to get to at the end of a year or at the end of five years, at the end of 10 years, whatever it is. And then using that context to help you figure out what do you really need to be working on then in the next three months? What are the, what, what is a realistic amount of tasks, projects, um, ideas that you can tackle in 90 days and how do those fit into that long-term plan? And then once you have a good grasp of that and you know, okay, these are the things that I want to focus on for the next three months, then backing into a step-by-step actionable plan for each, because oftentimes people way overcommit to what they think they can do in three months. And then they don't even have really uh, good visibility on like what that's actually going to take. So, you know, oh, I'll launch a podcast. Okay. Well, let's make a list of what that actually is going to entail. Uh, because it may be a lot more than you think it is. And that's fine, but we want to make sure that we have good uh, a good understanding of what's going to be expected because that's where people get burned out and that's where they over overstretch themselves and get into these situations where they can't like get any one thing fully done is because there's usually a lot more involved in pulling off some of these projects than people think. So the 90-day plan allows you to make sure that you're prioritizing the right things. You're not overcommitting to too many things because you're having a detailed list of tasks that it's actually going to take to pull these things off. It's almost like giving you the how. So you've got your goal and you're like, right, how are we going to get there now? Because I think a lot of people do say, I'm going to write the book, I'm going to do the podcast, but it's almost too big of a goal Mm -hmm. or a vision and you just don't really know the necessary steps to get there. So I really like that. It makes it very tangible for people to actually take the action and get closer to to hitting that goal and doing the thing that they want to do. Love it. Yeah, totally. And we like to then chunk things out into like monthly and then two week sprints because again, like even 90 days is a long time to think about these big projects. And if you whittle it down to like, okay, what do I need to do for the next two weeks? Then you can really keep tabs on your progress. Otherwise you get to the end of the three months and you're like, oh, I said I was going to do that and I didn't do it. And now it's like too late for me to do it in this three months. But if you're keeping an eye on things like every two weeks, it's much easier to see where you might be veering off track. Definitely. Having those goals, setting those deadlines for yourself always helps for sure. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on today. I think people are going to get a lot out of this episode. How can people find with you, find with you, how can people find you and how can people work with you? Yeah, they can find me. Probably the best way is on my website, easyscaling.com. And then from there, you can find me on Instagram. So my handle is Jordan Shonda King, which I won't spell, but we can maybe put it in the show notes or you can find it on my website. Come hang out with me on Instagram. Ask me all the questions. Um, DM me if you want to work with us because who knows what we might have available at any given time, but we work with people in a lot of different ways. So happy to help. Love that. All the details will be in the show notes below. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.